Hi, this is John Eskelson, and this is section hiking the Appalachian Trail. I'd like to through hike one of our nation's long trails, but I don't have the time right now to do that. But what I can do is take a week here and there and section hike the Appalachian Trail. On this podcast, I'll tell you what I'm learning about the trail, the skills needed, the food, and the gear for a successful hike. We'll dive in deep and hopefully come out the other end ready to tackle the trail. We are sponsored by the Committee to Restore America's National Parks, an advocacy group for everyday people determined to convince Congress to eliminate the $12 billion maintenance backlog in our nation's parks. Please check them out at www.RestoreAmericasNationalParks.org. That's RestoreAmericasNationalParks.org. So welcome to episode three. Um, Let's have some fun and different ways in which that fun is manifested. Um, Before I get to that, though, I want to first discuss briefly how exciting it is to be on my third podcast episode. And for me, what that means is I finally started to figure out how one podcasts and some of the breaks and frankly, some of the editing that is so terrible on the first couple episodes. But beyond that, um, let's talk about fun. When I talk about fun, there are three types of fun. Type one fun, type two fun, and type three fun. Type one fun is something that is an activity that is fun in the moment, and it will be fun in the retelling of it later on. Type two fun is fun that is not fun in the moment, but will be really fun to tell about sometime in the future. A lot of backpacking experiences happen in this kind of type of fun. And then type three fun is experiences or activities that are not fun in the moment and are not fun in the retelling. These are the painful, horrible ones that we just really dislike. One way to ensure the hike I'll be taking falls into either the type one or type two category is to ensure that I'm in good physical shape. As a man in my mid forties with a desk job, this means that I got to utilize the time I have to maximize uh, those periods where I can make my, make sure I'm physically stronger. Usually for me, that's early in the mornings or in the evenings after work. It isn't like uh, my twenties or much my thirties when I could have taken little thought, about my physical or nutritional needs and just so, you know, I would do things. Now it's been imperative that this becomes an area of focus for me if I'm going to achieve this section hike or do anything else like it. What's more, last year I recovered from two leg injuries that that required considerable physical therapy and frankly time away from strengthening other parts of my body. As I surveyed what was on the internet, as well as some of the literature I could find, the results for you know how one should properly prepare for backpacking was wide-ranging. A lot of it, frankly, was you know get on your you know there's nothing quite like backpacking than than backpacking. Um, I'm sure that this is true. Um, at the same time. 
it's a really time intensive way of preparing for a trip, especially if you're trying to gear up for something that's more longer term. In an ideal world, I'll be able to taper up much like I did when I was training for a marathon. You know, so maybe I start with a five mile hike, then go to a 10 mile hike, 15, 20, and maybe max out at 25. I think that's something I'll try to do in March and early April before I start. Doing this is going to require me to get more organized than I presently am, but I still have some time. I think I can start uh, doing these sorts of uh, graduated hikes up in March, much like I did for marathon training. Hopefully my wife will listen to this and she'll know that what I'm planning on before I get the chance to talk to her. But what I've settled on in terms of uh, physical preparation is to follow the guidelines or the general principles of uh, three sets of folks who are generally harmonic in their approach to physical preparation for hiking, even if they have slightly different focuses. The first is the guys from Backpacking Light. Um, Jordan Ryan and his colleagues over there um, have a podcast and a fairly detailed outline of, of their approach towards preparing for backpacking. Jordan thinks uh, has advocated um, stair climbing with a way to pack up big buildings is a good way to help prepare your legs to do uh, the kind of work necessary for backpacking. Um, this works really great, particularly in areas and cities where you have tall public buildings. In the Washington, D.C. area, we have buildings with several floors, maybe six or seven. Maybe there's more. Um, but you usually don't have especially tall buildings that you can have access to on a regular basis. Um, the other things that he talks about is, uh, he emphasizes, is uh, just getting the miles in because that will give your foot and ankle muscles the time to develop a need. Um, you don't need to put any additional instability or other things like that. Uh, one of the things I've noticed um, that, that he offers up and shows on his uh, website is kind of a, a pattern for uh, doing your workouts. Um, he has a six-day routine. Well, in, within a week, he, he rests on days three and seven, but then does a mixture of high aerobic activity, um, a mixture with core resistance. He really is a big believer in core resistance and building up the core strength and the leg strength. And then um, a couple of hours of hiking once a week with elevation, if you are at a place where you can pull that together. I really like uh, Jordan's approach and the guys at Backpacking Light seem to have um, a really good expertise at understanding what it, ta what it takes to become a really great backpacker. The second website and podcast I've wanted to highlight and I've taken uh, some real strong advice from is uh, the, the website Summit Strength. It's uh, labeled a personal training for truckers and mountaineers by Rowan Smith. He's an Aussie. Uh, he's a physical therapist and a personal fitness coach um, based in Australia, as I just mentioned. He offers individual training plans for those who are going on a variety of hikes and backpacking adventures. What I like about his podcast, and I admittedly haven't listened to all of them, 
is that it offers very practical advice for common injuries that people typically have. He is very focused on injury reduction uh, and how to solve problems like knee pain. And he offers handy advice and tips about, hey, if you have knee pain, you know, here's some common ways in which this, what this could be manifesting. It's not necessarily that you tore your ACL or you tore your meniscus or something like that. It could be that you mess up your foot or your hamstrings and glutes are tight or you have weak, um, weak uh, hip flexors. And his folk, he really wants people to be able to enjoy the experience that they're going to have um, by uh, focusing so strongly on injury prevention. The final website I found um, that has a number of excellent resources and information pertaining to the physical prepara uh, preparation for hiking uh, is Lee Welton's Trail Fitness, sorry, trailsidefitness.com. Welton is a physical therapy assistant, a personal trainer, and he successfully through hiked the Pacific Crest Trail in 2018. He wrote an article, which I've also included in the show notes, that outlines his basic philosophy regarding preparations for backpacking. He notes that the number one reason people fail on their through hikes is because they sustain an injury. And yet only 50% of surveyed hikers train before they hike. A lot of people take the idea that I will, the hike itself is the training. Furthermore, he finds out that, or he finds that most injury occurs within the first 25% of the hike. That means that the failure to prepare physically frequently accounts for a number of injuries of those seeking to do the PCT specifically or hiking generally. Uh, he cites survey data that shows that 29 to 48%, depending on the year, of hikers leave their PCT through hike because of injury. That's a lot. Welton has a lot of great resources on his website. He loves lunges and he has a free plan in which, you know, if you, if you do it, you can learn how to lunge around a track for 400 meters to build up your build up your legs. I think on one episode of a podcast I listened to with him, he calls himself a lunge fanatic. I try to do the workout, at least the initial workout, and it's definitely one that's gonna require additional effort to be able to perform the whole thing. He also offers a 12 week, a free 12 week plan that you can email him for to prepare for a big hike, as well as a self care guide. In addition, he also takes clients for private personalized training. What these three guys and the information they've provided have led me to do is construct a very core and leg heavy regimen where I'm in the gym about four days a week with the fourth day being a Saturday. The other days are stretch and recovery days. Now I know that cardiovascular, that the emphasis is on strength, then endurance, and then cardio. But I like doing 30 minutes of cardio at the beginning of my, my workouts um, um, as a way to kind of break a sweat and to increase the number of calories I'm burning while I'm doing this. Plus, um, you know, I just I like either running or elliptical or just doing something that helps get my body moving before I lift weights. Eventually, as I mentioned earlier, my plan is to start uh, taking weighted day hikes around the area here in Northern Virginia, they'll get my legs used to walking various distances later this spring. Basically every day is a leg day and a core day, which is fine with a variety of upper body uh, exercises thrown in. 
Like the rest of me, my legs can use some continued strengthening after after the injuries I, I had last year. A couple of other points I've noted as I've researched into the issue of physical preparedness. First, as a middle-aged guy, I gotta be more patient. Obviously, gains and results from this sort of training are really gradual and they come up coming over time. There's no Steve Rogers type process to turn me into Captain America, although sometimes I think that'd be easier, perhaps. Uh, strengthening the body slowly and being patient is a reality that I sometimes forget. So in order to get to tip-top shape um, that won't, in a way that won't lead me to injury in my preparation, it's going to take a while. Hopefully giving myself a good 12 weeks or so um, is going to help do that. Heck, I can't even work out every day. I need a, re I need a day of recovery in between where I just stretch. The other thing I've been learning about is I don't need to push it super hard cardiovascularly when I'm training. I can't remember the podcast I was listening to, but the gist is that most athletes train at 75% of their max heart rate, nearly 80% of the time. And again, for sustainable fitness over a long period of time, you know, you, the key is to go slow. These folks only do a small fraction of their workouts where they get their heart rates up to the 80 and 90% of their max heart rate levels. So I'd love to hear from you about how you prepare for your hikes. Uh, please leave me a comment and let me know what works for you. The other topic I'd like to touch on today are some of the elements related to one's mental health while backpacking. Um, so I have three thoughts and with, with regards to one's mental health and how one approaches backpacking. I'm not saying that any of these are profound. These are definitely not professional diagnoses or thoughts or anything mentally like that, but they are just kind of three thoughts I have kind of going into this next phase, um, at least for me and my planning. Um, so I can, with the goal of having type two or maybe type one fun while I'm out on this trip. The first thought is that some of us are better situated for hiking in a group, uh, whether or not we share everything or not, like, you know, everyone shares all the food preparation, everyone shares the same tent, et cetera, et cetera, or not. Uh, working together as a group is edifying for many, and in some cases is necessary to preserve the necessary motivation to continue and complete a climb or a hike. I know a lot of people that are externally motivated by how other people are doing and how they compare themselves to other people. Whereas another set, you know, and I tend to fall into this one, is more internally mo motivated to achieve a goal that they've set for themselves, whether or not other people are participating or not. For myself, I generally like hiking with a group, but I don't like to be bound to everything that the group is doing. Like I don't want to share an eight person tent um, on an adventure. I really enjoy the camaraderie of others, but I also enjoy the, uh, the ability to follow my own procedures, uh, cook my own meals, and the peace of quiet in my own tent at the end of the night. Um, this issue was actually brought up in a different context in one of the backpackinglight.com webinars, and, and a little bit of this is drawn from the, and some of this is drawn from their work, so I wanna make sure I give all credit to them for some of the thoughts expressed next. Um, hiking by oneself as a solo gives 
uh, gives a person a much higher level of autonomy, independence, and decision-making than when hiking in a group. Uh, so some people may like to do this and others may not. I think the main questions that one needs to ask are the following. First, what are my abilities to adapt to changes in group behavior, unexpected group dynamics, or differences in expectation and or skill levels among group members? The second question is whether uh, that one needs to ask is whether my highest individual goals and objectives for the trip are in line with those of the group. Will I consider the trip a failure if my expectations aren't met? So taking these two questions and putting them together will determine whether one should hike by oneself or in a group configuration. For this upcoming trip that I'm taking, I really want it to be successful and I really want to maintain control of how it proceeds. So while I, I can accept not making it all the way to Waynesboro from Harper's Ferry and the time I have allotted, I do not want it to because of someone else. So that's how I decided to take this hike uh, on my own this time. All right, second thought. The second thought came to me listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I've listened to a lot of their episodes and there are a number of stories told in which folks are, in complete, are completing difficult trips in really challenging circumstances. Sometimes someone needs to call for help or can't handle the challenge, and that's okay. With very few exceptions, folks should be lauded and respected for their efforts and not derided for trying to go someplace challenging or on an adventure in the first place. For others, the adventure wouldn't be a challenge if it weren't too hard. I don't have any grand wisdom on this one except to say that when I was 12 and hiking the Devil's Dome Trail, my dad helped me along when it got tough. When I was 15 and hiked Mount Adams, I was sort of on my own. I wasn't fast enough to, you know, to be in the front group, and I wasn't in the very back with the slow pokes and the people who'd given up. It just took time taking one step in front of the other going up. There really wasn't any thought about going down. My goal was at the top and so that's where I was headed. Thinking about the times I've taken my kids or scouts on various backpacking trips, I've learned that they can usually complete a trip provided I or other adults operated at the right pace, took additional breaks now and again, and allowed enough flexibility in how we are going to achieve the result. On this upcoming hike, my goal is to hike a lot. Some days it'll be quick and other days it'll be much more slow. But to stay hiking until I reach my mileage goals is frankly the goal. I believe that if I am flexible in pursuing this goal across the day, I'll be able to get to where I need to, want to be in the time I have. Third thought, post-adventure blues or post-adventure depression. This is honestly not something that I thought much about until recently. Again, I was listening to one of the adventure sports podcast episodes where one gentleman who was a backpacker uh, describe the challenges he faced after he left the trail and re-entered his normal life. Uh, the, 
the gentleman in question admitted that he had a great life, that there was a lot of goodness in what he did and loved his wife and loved his house and everything, but that it was hard to adjust um, to a non-backpacking life. He had uh, started on the Continental Divide Trail, um, realized that it, um, because of trail conditions, it was too hard to continue, and then uh, moved over to do the PCT Trail and got up to uh, all the way to the Oregon border before um, some family circumstances required that he leave the trail. A really amazing story. The thing about this is, you know, it's obviously real. I was really surprised and taken aback when I uh, did a Google search and started researching this issue and came across blog posts, articles, podcasts, all talking about this issue. Um, elsewhere, uh, Lee Welton from Trailside Fitness has commented on a podcast that for many hikers, these feelings of blues or depression come about because of the loss of intense community that one feels on the trail. Um, also, um, by the reduction of serotonin that's released um, into the brain once one enters re regular life. Uh, he also mentioned that there, there's evidence of a connection between our gut and our brains as well, and that sometimes a poor trail diet can exacerbate the challenges one feels when they return to their lives. I've linked a couple of different articles I found that I thought were good examples of this phenomenon. It's something, though, that I find really disconcerting um, for myself. I know that hiking for a week or so is not the same as through hiking for five months and that the level of intensity is very different. But uh, what I can tell you is that for a time I was in the military as a reservist and my unit was called up and we deployed to a non-combat, albeit extremely stressful area for 16 months that was isolated from our families and from other people. Um, you know, other people, it wasn't like we could go back to our regular lives. We are in a place, we were stayed in that place and it was, it was fairly isolated. And there's a certain camaraderie that comes out from having an, being in an intense environment for so long with a, with a group of people, uh, relationships are formed. Um, this, this deployment ended, uh, 13 years ago and I still have a core group of friends that I am extraordinarily tight with. And I can relate to the feelings of, uh, you know, I don't want to call it PTSD because I think that word gets thrown around too much, but the feelings that come after such an intense experience ends and one is left to rebuild and restart an old life or a different part of our lives that had been put on hold for so long. It's not, not as though everything stops. In fact, it's the fact that things don't stop in other parts of our lives while we take time to go do these adventures that makes transitioning back into our world so difficult. I know that in my situation, um, spending time to freely roam the woods for nine days and then coming back and sitting at my desk is not going to be the most pleasant of experiences. but it's something that is going to need to uh, be
be thought about and I'll need to prepare for on the back end. So, you know, take your mental health as seriously as you take your physical health. As a friend of mine likes to say, if you'd broken your leg, you'd go get it treated, right? Sometimes we hurt ourselves mentally. We need to go get that taken care of as well. But uh, that's all I have today. Um, my, I hope that, you know, we all can uh, learn to take care of ourselves physically and mentally so that when we go out on the trail and prepare to, you know, do hard things, um, that we'll be able to have the kinds of fun that we want to have. That won't be the miserable kind of fun that nobody wants to talk about. I think my daughter brought up um, a week-long camping expedition that my family took in the Olympi Olympia, Olympic uh, Peninsula in the rainforest there when I was a kid, and we still don't talk about it. Most everything anyone says is it was wet, and it was so wet. It was torrential downpour the entire week, but for some reason we stuck it out, and it wasn't fun. Um, at the time, and it isn't fun in the retelling, which is unique amongst the camping and backpacking experiences that I've had. Um, if you have any comments about things that you've done to to be successful in, in building yourself up physically or mentally for your outdoors experiences or hiking experiences, please leave a comment. Um, I look forward to reading them, and I hope to uh, be back next week and where we'll talk again. Have a great day. Bye.